Dad, thank you for this amazing church. Thank you for what you're doing here. We don't take it for granted. Father, I'm asking that as we sang, Holy Spirit, come, fill this place. Let your presence come and flood every one of our hearts right now. We want to think like heaven. We want to love like heaven. We want to live like heaven. We want to look like heaven. And I'm asking, my Lord and my God, that today you would cause blinds to be removed from our eyes. I'm asking, Lord, that this church would not just be a multicultural church sitting next to each other, but a church where we are in one another's lives, doing life together, where we are breaking down strongholds of division and prejudice, where this nation can look and say, look, it can be done, where we are a seed for this nation of what you are about to do across the entire nation and continent. And so, Lord, I ask right now that you would give us grace and wisdom as we open up your word and see and study your heart. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Don't you like the wonderful, colorful, multicultural picture right there? See if you can spot yourself. Carol came back last night wearing a t-shirt that looked something like that. So I I was going to let her wear it, but um, I I guess when you've been flying in an airplane for two days in that shirt, you don't want to wear it the next day. But, you know, we, we really, in terms of what Africa shared last week, our heart as a church is to build according to a specific vision and a specific value set. You know, we don't just want to run a church and preach a message and, you know, see how many bums we can get in seats. We want colorful bums in seats, right? And, and, and so when we talk about how we build church, we have certain vision and values. Now, our vision, as most of you know, we see, if you know it with me, you can say it, we see lives, community, and society transformed by discipleship in the Word, the presence, and the power of God. How does it start? It starts with lives. You know that in this church, you impact one life, that one life will impact a community, and that community and that society that God has placed them in will impact the city and the nation. And so don't underestimate what God is doing in this church. Don't underestimate the fact that when you are building and breaking down racial prejudice lines in your own life and the lives of others, that it's not going to spill over into their boycott, their sphere of influence, their workplace, because we start to see people differently. And my prayer today is that we will start to see people differently. Amen? And so I, um, you know, I grew up, a certain culture. I was raised German. Ich bin eine Deutsche, jawohl. Gott liebe dich. And, um, but raised by a very strong German father and raised in a, in a very white English culture. And I've got to be honest, being enriched by the different cultures in this church has transformed me. I would never want to be a part of a monoculture church personally. Everywhere Carol and I have gone, we've said we're going to build multiculturally. Every church we've planted, every church we've led. And I look at this church and I say, God, you're doing an amazing thing. There is a grace. And so when we talk about our vision statement, we want to impact lives, communities, and societies that look different to us. And when we talk about our values, one of our values is that we build multicultural churches. And we value that deeply, which means we work strategically towards that doesn't just happen. Have you noticed that if churches just do what comes naturally, you may probably end up 
with one culture in your church. My heart is that every one of you sitting here today is going to truly experience a breakthrough and God impacting our lives to see things we haven't seen before in terms of how he sees others. If you have your Bibles with you, you can uh, turn over to Revelation. One of the things as you turn in there that Africa shared last week is there's a difference between a multiracial church and a multicultural church. Multiracial, he described as people of different races like sitting on a bus together. And yet multicultural means we're doing life together. We are allowing our cultures to enrich one another and we are being more sensitive to one another's cultures so that we can truly build meaningful relationships. In Revelation 7 verse 9, if you have that in your Bible, I'm in Revelation 7 and I'm in verse 9. <laughs> Isn't that... Uh, I'm just trying to change my slides there, Teddy. Is PowerPoint giving us a hard time again? So Revelation 7, 9. John, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Gabriel probably could, but maybe no one around him. From every nation, tribe, people, and language. From every nation, tribe, people, and language. That means that everyone who's in our church gets there because everyone from every nation is in heaven. Hey, isn't that cool? Standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, they were wearing white robes, holding palm branches, which were a symbol of victory in their hands. When we pray and we say, God, we want to pray how you want us to pray, Jesus taught the disciples a prayer, and one of those phrases is, on earth as it is in heaven. Don't wait to get to heaven to experience the fullness of God's design and plan and desire. Pull heaven to earth that we can start to live the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus said is not a place necessarily that you just wait to die to get to. The kingdom of heaven is right here amongst us. And so we want to live the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. Something Africa said that impacted a number of people, but the, the truth is, I want you to look at yourself and say, God created me like this. You don't have to say it out loud, but God created me like this. God did not create Adam and Eve with the genetic makeup of just one type of person. They had a genetic makeup for every single type of person you see on the planet, right? And so when that seed of Adam and Eve started to reproduce, we started to see so many different people. And as people groups moved and started to change and all that, it is God's will and His creation that we don't look the same. Look at the creation He's put out there. There are no two snowflakes the same. There are no two pieces of diamond or coal the same. All of creation is diversity working together in harmony. It is not God's will or plan for there to be segregation amongst different people. Whose plan is that? The enemy works overtime to sow prejudice. I believe it's one of his key weapons. I believe that racial prejudice is one of his key weapons. You're different to me. 
you do things differently to me, therefore, I'm not sure how to relate to you, therefore, either my culture or your culture is superior or inferior. Let me just say this about culture. I love what Africa said about culture, that God did not design culture, man did, but there's always elements of God in each culture, right? And so God doesn't necessarily want us to just give up our cultures, but he wants us to learn what it is to have unity and diversity. Amen? In Christianity Today, one of the writers observed, it's a well-known international Christian magazine, Sundays may be considered the most segregated day of the week. <laughs> Isn't that sad? Listen, if the enemy is working overtime to sow racial prejudice all over the world, there should be one place that he can't get away with it, and that's in the true church. There should be one place where the will of God and what heaven looks like should be demonstrated, and that's in the church. Isn't it sad that in this nation, there were churches that were propagating apartheid as biblical? My heart breaks. I want to repent on behalf of churches that have done that as a pastor of a church. I want to repent on behalf of churches that have misrepresented heaven, misrepresented his word. Because what God's calling us to build for the church he's coming back to, it is going to look like a glorious bride of multicolors. That's what we're building here. And let me say this as well. I've said this before. Monoculture churches actually grow much quicker than multicultural. We share this in Discover Every Nation, those of you who've been through it, but our heart to build multicultural means we may build slower, but we want to build deeper and we want to build something that looks like heaven in the demography that God's placed our church. And so when we say we want to build multiculturally, it might mean the quickest growing churches are monoculture. If we want a church of thousands, the quickest way of doing that is to say we're going to build a monoculture church where everyone feels the same, everyone feels comfortable. We sing songs that everyone's used to and can pronounce the words. So when we sing songs that you can't pronounce the words, what does that do for you? It stretches you. Thank you, Judy. It is good. I had to learn all that. I still, I'm still working on it, as you can tell. But we'd rather build slower to represent heaven. On last night, I woke up at one o'clock. And uh, it might be because Carol was feeling like it was lunchtime or something. I don't know what it was. But when I woke up, I felt like God said, I want to tell you that what you are sharing on today is the heart of heaven. And he said, I want to tell you that this is not just a sermon. That this is so close to my heart of what I'm going to restore in this nation. And that you are a first fruit of what I'm going to do in churches throughout this nation, in businesses throughout this nation, in schools throughout this nation. That we are a first fruit of it. And he said this to me, and I wrote it down. What you are building here has heaven's attention. Then he let me go back to sleep. <laughs> hey, what you see here today is unfortunately highly unusual. Uh, and if we look around, how many multicultural churches are there that you know of? 
all our every nation churches are working on building multiculturally. But I want to say that uh, we've still got a way to go. Listen, multicultural challenges in the church are not unique to the modern church. The early church, you read the book of Acts, the early church in Jerusalem did amazing things. Remember the miracles? The apostles did mighty signs and wonders and miracles. There were incredible things taking place. People were sharing in one another's homes. They were doing life together. I know my voice is sounding a bit weird. We're having speaker problems, not the speaker. The speaker. Jesus fixed most of my problems. My wife helped. Do you know how many people say, let's go back to the church in Acts, that early Jerusalem church had so many miracles and signs and wonders, but they didn't overcome their racial prejudice. They did not build multiculture. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Maybe the Jerusalem church only heard Jerusalem. Someone else will go to Judea, and we don't go near Samaritan. It's because Samaritans, we are told, we may not even eat with. We may not even, if we touch someone of another religion, even the Samaritans who were mixed half Jew, half not, then we are now unclean. Now, even when they got saved, it took them a while to break out of that prejudice. Are you hearing me? You can move in signs, wonders, and miracles and still be prejudiced. You can have a church that looks glorious and God's there and he's doing amazing things because he will always take advantage of every opportunity. But my friends, I believe that there's an aspect missing when we're not having the multicultural expression and we're not reaching the Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth. Amen. I mean, there were complaints that the Hebrew Jew, uh, the Hebrew uh, widows were being looked after better than the non-Hebrew widows. And they, it caused a ruckus in the church. Then later, when God wants to break them out of, go get to the Gentiles, he has to send Peter a, a trance vision that comes down from heaven with a sheet that's full of prawns, crabs, bacon, lobster. Paul, Peter, do not call unclean what I've called clean. We declare that over our bacon every Saturday morning. And then only after three times does he get told, go with these men. He goes to the Gentiles. He sees God do a miracle in the Gentiles. He comes back to Jerusalem. What do the Jews do when they get back to Peter? They are upset and say, what is this we hear that you went and hung out with the Gentiles? Friends, let me ask you this. You've grown up in a country that's been incredibly segregated. We've grown up in cultures where it's been reinforced just because of where we're at. Just because you're born again and going to church does not mean that you have let go of all the issues around race and prejudice in your heart. I was building multicultural churches and slid so many blind spots. And God had to point out, do you know what, Andrew, you think that you're superior because of this and this. It's like, wow, God, I didn't even see that. Whether you feel superior, inferior, no matter what's been said to you, let me say to you this morning that if you ask God to remove the blinders and see as He sees, He will do it because that's His desire. 
The first multicultural church was not Jerusalem. God had to send an incredible persecution to get them to go to the nations. The first multicultural church was in Antioch. And Antioch became actually the model church that we refer back to for the rest of the New Testament. Antioch raised people like Barnabas who went and found someone like Saul who'd had an encounter with God. And Saul becomes Paul, the greatest apostle of all. Why? Paul was an interesting guy. Although he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, he was also born a Roman citizen, could speak the different languages of the world, and could relate to every single culture. He was not out of place in any culture. When he stood, who reached the entire known world in just a few decades? Paul and his companions. He was able to reach different cultures beyond anyone else. He had a different multicultural lens that he saw through. And Paul writes this to the Corinthians. And Paul writes this to the Corinthians. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. That word flesh means the outward, the body, the external. And when he talks about relating to people after the flesh, it means the moment I see you, I've already got some prejudgments about who you are and what you are. I want you to just look at someone of a different culture today, different skin color, whatever it might be. If you bump into that person in the grocery store, what is the first thought you have? How do you see them? Not at church. Not at church. At church, we're all brothers and sisters. How do you see people after the flesh? Lord Jesus, I ask right now that you'd give us the grace to no longer see people after the flesh, but to see them as you see them. And Paul goes on after that, and he says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Your prejudice should pass away. Those mindsets will pass away. Behold, the new has come. This is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, let me say, obviously, the reconciliation primarily is to reconcile men to God. But the cross is both ways. It is vertical and horizontal. Part of that reconciliation is as we are reconciled to God, we must reconcile man to man, woman to woman, man to woman, <laughs> man to child, woman to child. What am I missing? Child to man, child to woman. Even your pets. So where is your identity? If you're a new creation in Christ and you're not meant to be seen after the flesh, our identity must be in what Christ says I am. My identity must be in what Christ says you are. Amen. Not what your culture says you are. Not what your clan says you are. Not what the crowds say you are. Not what my company says I am. Not what my campus says I am. Not what my class says I am. Know what my car says I am? Any other C's? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Friends, when God woke me up this morning, He said, I'm doing a new thing. 
I'm not just wanting to give you a vision to build a multicultural church. I'm going to change the hearts of every person in this church so that wherever you go, you will see people as Jesus sees them. Sure. You can give me a South African amen. Sure. So how do we learn to do this? Now that, we, you know, we share a little bit every now and then about multiculture and certainly Heritage Day is coming up and we'll in, enjoy that even more. But, uh, you know, how do we do this? There are a number of tools that really help. Carol, who's been doing her master's and, and just done her final, what do you, internship, what do you call it? In, intensive in uh, Chicago at Wheaton. I was going to wear my Wheaton shirt and just like do the Superman, but, but it had dog hair on it. Um, Superman had a dog, he would understand. So Carol, in her studies, one of the courses that they did was effective intercultural communication. Uh, Dr. Scott Moreau even had a picture of Carol hugging Dr. Scott Moreau. Unfortunately, I didn't include that, darling. But um, Carol's just been flying for 24 hours and uh, is jet lagged. So I'm going to do my best at cheering her stuff. I'm not the expert on this. But I want to say that in this particular course, Carol did a presentation at our chapel. All of our staff were there, um, our citywide chapel, where we have ethnic groups from all over Africa represented. And all of them were like blown away and said, this is so helpful. And one of the things that, uh, there we go. One of the, the basic foundations of communicating and building across cultures is understanding that every culture has certain pillars around which we express ourselves and how we, you know, how we were raised to think, etc., communicate. And so those pillars, we, I'm not going to have time to talk about all of them today, but I want to just show them to you, and we may do some of them later. But the first one is whether you, in terms of communicating, what we call contextualization, contexting, is high or low context communication. Now, you don't know what that is? I'm going to tell you. The other one is whether it's based on individualism or collectivism, different cultural approaches. Polychronic or monochronic time. Most people in very busy cities like Joburg, we have to stick to monochronic time, right? But when you're out in the middle of nowhere on holiday in the Swakop Desert, I switch over to polychronic time. It's just like, oh, the sun's up, let's have breakfast. So I'm not going to touch on those, but I just... You know, power distance and gender all separation. Today, I only want to touch on the first two and trust God that he'll help us to understand where different cultures are coming from and communicate better. And so you don't know whether this is going to be helpful or not. I'm just telling you now, this is going to be helpful. Amen. <laughs> Turn to yourself and say, this is going to be helpful. <laughs> Dr. Elijah Maswangani some of you know him, amazing man. He said something interesting about culture. All cultures are unique, valid, dynamic, and wait for it, sinful. Thanks, Elijah. <laughs> there are parts of our culture that God has sown in there. 
There are certain cultures of unreached people groups when some of the mission books we've read as part of our studies where it talks about they went to reach an unreached people group, unreached language group, and as they learned the language, etc., they found out that within their culture, God had already sown seeds that prepared them for the gospel. One particular group that was out in the middle of nowhere had always spoke about, they saw this, that they would teach about like banana leaves. They were packed together and they said, there's going to be a, a man who's going to come with banana leaves. And those banana leaves are going to really just share the truths with us. And they were waiting for these banana leaves. When the preacher arrived, uh, Alan's got a paper version Bible. When he arrived with his Bible, they went, it's the banana leaf man. God had already prepared them. There are aspects of culture that we need to learn from one another. That God has shown me so many sinful aspects of my culture, I just have to say. It's not that I'm perfect. It's not that I've got it all down. But I'm constantly seeing, you know what? I thought that was right just because that's how I was raised. So let me say this to you. What you were raised in, you will always think is right. Part of the book I'm busy writing, Winning the War Within, talks, you know, we, we look at the fact that there are three major influences that dictate the way you think and behave. But one of the primary influences is my environment and my culture. And what they say is that the brain forms the deepest and strongest pathways based on what you were first taught on something. And that that is one of the hardest things to break. Because it's reinforced over and over and over. So you grew up in that. It was reinforced over and over. And so I've got this way of thinking that's so deeply entrenched. And when I start to relate to others and I realize this is not appropriate for this kind of interaction, I have to make a choice. Because my first choice is always going to be, no, mine is right. In fact, one of the psychiatrists, a psychologist who was doing the teaching said, people will die. For what they were first taught because it's so deeply entrenched even in church what you were first taught about certain principles in church you may have to let go of so when I look at other cultures I have to recognize that we want to embrace we want to in honor we, we want to understand every culture we want to recognize what part is kingdom but wherever certain parts of my culture are not kingdom culture, number one, but also are not appropriate for the interaction that I'm having in this particular scenario. Because sometimes kingdom culture can be both, or more than one. Kingdom culture is not just this one thing. God, the creator of the universe, allows multiple ways of interacting with other people, enjoys multiple ways. Jesus never healed someone the same way twice. There is no like, this is what kingdom culture looks like. Everyone adhere to this and die to your own. No, kingdom culture looks like a diverse mix of multicultures enriching each other. Amen? Don't say, oh, well, your culture's wrong, mine's right. It, in most cultures around the world, part of the study showed that the dominant culture is often viewed as kingdom culture. Specifically, the dominant culture that brought Christianity into an environment. And one of the mistakes that early missionaries made is they try to impose the culture on the mission field instead of just the gospel. And so they came and they said, if you want to be a Christian, then your culture must look like mine because we were Christians first. Isn't that sad? And so 
Now all of a sudden they've got people who are out in the villages dressing up in suit and tie to come to church. And that's just an external example. Friends, there are so many rich aspects of your culture. God doesn't want you to give up. He wants you to enrich the others around you with it. Amen. So I believe that the first two are more critical because that's where our interactions lie. And so the first one is what is called contexting. Choosing the appropriate mix of verbal and nonverbal, extraverbal communication, how we get the message across. And hopefully as you're reading this, you can say, that's mine or that's mine. And how do we work together? Because I just assumed mine was the only way. That was me. So there's low context communication and high context communication. And in low context communication, the meaning of what I'm sharing lies in the explicit words used. In high context, now let me just say low context means you, you don't have a whole lot of context to read what I'm saying. And so I have to tell you bluntly what's going on to make sure that I get the point across. High context means there's a lot of context that I don't have to share as much. Carol and I have been married 30 years. <laughs> Sorry, I, I mean, my first wife, 30 years. My only wife. But we can now engage in high context communication because we have so much context that we've lived together for so long. Are you hearing the difference? Carol just raises an eyebrow and, you know. <laughs> she used to have to kick under the table, now it's just a... In, so in high context, meaning lies primarily in the physical context and nonverbal aspects. So the way I communicate is going to come across very differently. Low context, and as I pointed out here, this is typically found in Northern Europe, United States. High context is commonly found in China, Japan, Southern Europe, and Africa. That doesn't mean that every single person that comes from Africa is going to have that, or every person who comes from there is going to have that. You hear what I'm saying? It's just predominant cultures. Direct verbal skills are valued, and less value is placed on nonverbal cues in low context. In high context, indirect nonverbal skills are valued. So what ends up happening very often is someone who comes out from America interacts with us from Africa, and we get offended. <laughs> right? Why? Because they're so blunt, and that's, what they, that's how their culture is. They're not trying to offend you. They being themselves. Well, you all, that jacket just doesn't suit you. Yeah, you need to get something different, man. When we talk about how we view these, indirectness in low context is often viewed with suspicion. So people who are very direct... I tell you everything I think, everything I feel. I lay it out on the table. So you this, you that, you that, this. We need to improve this. You need to do that, etc., etc., etc. And the other person is kind of taking it gently, easy. You know the African way. 
And they like, stop beating around the bush. You hear what I'm saying? It's not that one's right, one's wrong. It's different ways that we've grown up. And if we understand, it'll help you in the workplace, society, discipline, different cultures. Because in the other side, direct verbal skills are often viewed with suspicion or considered insulting. Why are you being so direct with me? And so in a scenario where you have a boss of one culture and an employee of another culture, this gets very interesting. <laughs> if uh, you're in a scenario where the boss says, guys, I'm going to need you all to come in on Saturday morning. We have to work overtime to finish this project. And I want everyone to be here. Direct, clear. One of the non-European cultures says, and he says, will you all be here? Answers, yes, but it's my son's birthday. Now, all <laughs> those who grew up in a high-context communication, yes, but it's my son's birthday, versus low-context, yes, but it's my son's birthday, means something completely different. Yes, but it's my son's birthday to the boss means, yes, I'll be there, but you better know that I'm sacrificing and wish my son a happy birthday. No, but in the high context communication, yes, <laughs> exactly. Please, those low, high context communication, tell me what that means. I'm not coming. <laughs> and in their culture, that's clear. I'm not beating around the bush. I am honoring you because of different ways of honoring. I honor you too much to say no to your face. So I'm going to say yes, but. So, and then what is the boss on Saturday? Where's Joseph? He said he's going to be here. So on Monday, Joseph's all into the office. Where were you? I told you I wasn't going to be there. <laughs> hey? <laughs> so let me say this then. If you truly understand cross-cultural, intercultural communication, you as the boss also have a responsibility to understand what the other person is saying and you as the employee or the other person need to help the other culture understand what you are saying. So when you are in a high context communication group, it's okay. But when you've got both of these together, let me tell you, the scenarios get very interesting and there's room for offense because of misunderstanding. And it's not to say one is better than the other. The Bible has both of them in it. The Bible represents both. If I look at this in the Bible... The Bible gives clear, low-context communication. Instead, speak in the truth in love. We will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. Simply yet your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. I have heard people quote this in intercultural stuff. But you said, 
No, but you must understand what they heard, yes. The rest of the culture heard, but, <laughs> no, it's my son's birthday. So in other words, you have not really communicated cross-culturally until the other person has understood what you're saying. <laughs> then there's this crazy story in Genesis 23. Abraham's wife, Sarah, has died. He wants to bury her. He goes to the Hittites. He's living amongst them. And he goes to them and he says, listen, guys, um, I want to bury my wife. And they say to him, you can have anything you want here. So he says to this group, would you please entreat Ephron? Would you please speak to Ephron on my behalf and ask Ephron if he will let me have that cave, that's the one that I want, and tell him I will pay full price. Ephron is right there in front of him. He doesn't talk to Ephron. Would you please ask Ephron? Ephron stands up and says, no, don't pay. You will not pay. I give it to you freely. Don't pay. What did you just hear? Abraham's about to get a free cave to bury his wife. High context communication, that simply means out of respect. <laughs> Abraham says, no, but I want to pay. Ephron replies, listen, the cave's worth 100 shekels, but what's that to you and me? I mean, that's got nothing to do with you and me. You just go bury your wife. What did you hear again? I'm getting a great deal. I'm getting a hundred shekel cave for nothing. But straight after Abraham pays him the hundred shekels, everyone's happy, goes home. And let me just say that I think that the low context communication may be predominant in certain spheres. And if you're a low context communicator working with people in high context cultures, we need to change the way we speak. If you're discipling someone of a different culture, you need to be sensitive to how they're thinking and how you need to change the way you speak. So I'm gonna just trust God. Take a picture of that and put it up on your fridge or whatever. But how do I need to change the way I speak to improve communication with those who have a different style to me? The second one that I, oh, sorry, you, you wanted a picture, all right. There we have a picture of that. The second one I want to touch on and wrap up with quickly is individualism versus collectivism. So in individualistic uh, cultures versus collective cultures, I'll run through this quickly. The interests of the individual are more important. In collectivism, the interests of the group are more important. How many of you, okay, let me go through it first. Family means my nuclear family. People say, how's the family? Carol, Dave, Karen, and Josh are fine. <laughs> Collective culture, family means <laughs> the extended family. Oh, he's my brother. Okay, uh, he's my other brother. Oh, how many brothers do you have? He's my cousin. He's my nephew. It just means we're distantly related. And I can tell you, having grown up in an individualism culture, I have been so enriched by the collectivism culture. I believe that we need to learn some things. In groups, in individualism, in groups are cultivated and chosen by preference. 
loyalty will change to a new one if I want. Whereas in collectivism, you're born into an in-group and you're loyal to that group forever. Don't have to be biblically, but that's typically how it goes. Self-actualization is important in individualism, whereas obligation and duty are important in collectivism. In individualistic cultures, decision-making is up to me. It's my decision. In collective cultures, decisions are made by the group. So Carol and I, we get told we've reached 40 people in Namibia. We're going to go start a church there. We'd been trying to get into Zimbabwe, worked in Zim for a year, and Mugabe kicked us out and um, didn't want any more white mysteries. So we left. Where do we go? 40 people saved in Namibia. Go plant a church. So we head up to Namibia. We're going to plant a church. We've got all these 40 people, and one by one, we go after these 40 people, visit them wherever they are. And they're like, no, they'd all gone home now for the holidays. They'd all gone back to their families. And the collective had said, no, we don't want you to be a part of that. So they came back and said, no, I'm not going to be a part of that. There were times that we had preached water baptism. And everyone bought into water baptism. Yes, we want to get water baptized. And they learn it. And then after the holidays, how many of you want to get baptized? No, our family said that's not how we do things. But at this other, on the other hand, your children are raised in a community. You're not isolated, raising a child all on your own. Modern cities become individualism by nature. But I believe we need to work a little bit more towards being more collective. Those of you who are, how many of you come from an individualism culture? Individualistic, thank you. How many of you come from a collective culture? Okay, how many of you wouldn't raise your hand no matter what I said? <laughs> you know, I, I as, a, as a white person, I walk into an elevator. It is full of different cultures. Door closes behind me. What does the individualistic man do? Then the door opens, one floor below... And in walks someone who's not of my culture. Hey, Dumalang! Hey! Hey, Wena! So now when I walk into an elevator, I'm like, how's it, guys? How are you all doing? Hey, you know, especially, you know, I'm trying to learn Zulu and other languages, but I mean, if you, if you even just learn a greeting in another language, that helps. And so in these cultures, listen, in every culture, there's a mix of the two. Um, women tend to be more collective than men. Even in collectivism societies, collective society uh, cultures, you tend to have an upper class that's more individualistic. So, you know, but... Ask God to show you how to relate in these different scenarios. The Bible, again, affirms both. Whoa, whoa. Whoa, that was quick. Oh, oh, we don't want to go to power distance. I'm not doing power distance today. Right, right, thank you. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Make you feel like going and having coffee. As in Adam, all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. Collective. 
That night the jailer took them, washed their wounds after Paul and Silas were in jail. And him and his whole family were baptized. How many times do you read in scripture, him and his whole family? It was collective. Cornelius' house, the entire household got saved. The entire household got born again. And then, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and reward each person according to what he has done. I cannot stand before God and say, well, the collective told me to do this. I'm going to be held accountable for my own actions. Each person responsible for their own decisions. Our decisions are affected by and affect the group. And the group and the individual are both important. You can't say one's right, one's wrong. And in some scenarios, it needs to be more collective. When it's coffee time after church, it needs to be more collective. Connect group, more collective. I'm not in a connect group. I'm a private person. Let some of the other cultures enrich you and deprivatize you. So friends, listen, in this church, I believe we can create a safe place that is really doing this right. One of the best ways of overcoming racial prejudice is to do life with different cultures. Can do seminars, can do events, but the best way is to do life together. And I want to say that out there in society, there's still a lot of prejudice. There are still injustices, pain and offenses, anger, hatred. If you have been wronged deeply by a particular group, I'm going to encourage you to press into that particular group person in church. Find someone who represents those who wounded you. Build a relationship with someone and don't judge that group. In Remember Africa said this last week. I don't judge that group because someone from that group hurt me. I don't judge that group because someone from that group did that or is like that. People are unique individuals. Don't lump them all. You're just that culture. Every individual is going to have something to bring and express. And in the body, the body is made up of different parts, right? How many of you are glad your body's not just made up of one part? Because God created us to look like that, to be a symphony. So many churches look like that. And I would much rather have the richness of every different instrument. Bring in what they have. Bring in your cultural elements. Bring in your uniqueness into the mix. So that we've got a beautiful sound when we sing. A beautiful sound when we relate. A beautiful sound when we do connect groups across the city. And they've seen black, white, Indian, colored, Chinese sitting at one table praying and reading the Bible together. And everyone's looking and going, who are you people? That's why we don't meet in homes much. Get out there. Symphony, not a solo. The body, every single instrument represents a different aspect of that sound. Every single person represents a different aspect of God's heart. So friends, in closing, I am going to encourage you afterwards to do a coffee with someone of a different culture. Not just this Sunday. Woo. I got, I got bubbles. And if you've got time after this Sunday, go grab someone of a different culture. When you go to work, would you think differently about how you relate to different cultures? But most of all, I'm going to trust that God uses this church to teach us all 
how to relate to one another in unity, in diversity, not uniformity. God's heart is not uniformity. We, you don't build unity by all becoming uniform. You don't build unity by all trying to be the same. Then you've just got a thousand violence. You build unity in diversity, and it sounds beautiful. Amen. Won't you stand with me as we close? Thank you, Jesus, that this is your heart. And Lord, I bless this church. I thank you for the many relationships that are taking place cross-culturally in this church, in the lives represented here. We ask, my Lord and my God, firstly, would you all just stand in agreement with me? Lord Jesus, remove the blinds that I have. Remove the prejudices that I'm not even aware of. I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. There is not one who's more superior. There's not one who's more inferior. There is just in Christ, we are all valued the same. And Lord, I pray that you would use us in this country, in this city, in this nation, in our communities, in our society, to speak a different language, to cross over the lines, and to be a prophetic witness that opens the doors and gives authority for you to do that every place that we go. And if you're here today and you're listening to this and you want to be a part of this great orchestra, but the only way to be a part of this kingdom culture is to become a part of His kingdom. He should say, Jesus, you died for this. Lord Jesus, I choose to give my life to you, to live for you for the rest of my days.